Hey, what's going on? This is Brandon. This is Joshua. Hey, this is Dave. And this is Asher Levin. And you are now tuned into PVD Horror. And you are now tuned into PVD Horror. Pretty. All of you are very pretty. <laughs> Please don't. I love you. Got Everyone, thank you for joining us. As always, uh, super grateful that you are watching or listening. And today we are joined with probably the hardest working man in film <laughs> right now. Um, <laughs> and the man who made me a hero to my 12-year-old son. Thank you very much, Good. Mr. Asher Levin. Awesome. Levin. Awesome. No problem. <laughs> Levin, Levin, whatever. Yeah, I'm actually, speaking of, hard, speaking of your hardest working, I'm literally uh in between scouts in new mexico for my next movie uh oh, sweet. so uh yeah sweet. yep it's That's my biannual year uh, uh biannual trip to new mexico to shoot a movie from la awesome. um home, home away from home uh anyways guys hello hi so asher you're here because we had the opportunity to check out your film slayers which is going to be on demand and on digital October 21st. So that's right around the corner. Um, I'm assuming you must be excited for people to see this. Super excited. Also in theaters. So all three. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Okay. yeah. I don't know what the, if there's going to be theaters in Rhode Island or, or, or whoever is listening, but, uh, but yeah, try to see it in the big screen. It looks pretty cool. Large. For sure. So yeah. um Let's let's start off by if you can give our listeners a little bit of a summary of what the film's about. That's kind of hard uh, for anyone who's seen the movie. It's difficult to describe. Um, I'll say that the movie is uh, about um, a vampire slayer played by Thomas Jane, um, who uh, sort of becomes a slayer through the tragedy of, of his wife's of his daughter's murder. Uh, and then sort of uh, unlocks the mysteries of uh, of uh, sort of centuries old uh, vampire Illuminati, and is now searching to figure out how to uh, hold on. Um, how to uh, am I back on? I'm I'm here, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, uh, now uh, figures out a way to 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 take down one of the 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 bigger Illuminatis, the ones that actually did his daughter wrong, and uh, through the uh, Sort of uh, through partnering up with a bunch of asshole influencers. That <laughs> uh, best way to describe it. And and uh, ultimately, uh, most of these influencers get get killed or turned to vampires. And he ends up teaming up with the only uh, the only pure soul in the crew, uh, a uh, a young gamer played by Kara Hayward, who was in Moonrise Kingdom. Uh, and um, she is sort of the new Jack who has the skills from playing video games. And, um, he is the, uh, the, um, sort of old, the old sort of fashion dude who, uh, who is uh, a bit of a Luddite, uh, swears off technology and believes that the world is out to get him, which is not far off from Thomas Jane, by the way. Um, (laughs) uh, yeah. Uh, so I guess that's the best description, but as far as it actually watching the movie, um, it's an experience. It's sort of like going to a rock show. Um, it is, uh, I like to say it's sort of um, John Carpenter by way of Looney Tunes. Um, I, I'd say that's, I don't know, does that make sense, guys? Sure. Uh, absolutely. 
the, yeah, it's, uh, so, it's, it's, it's pretty gross and super funny and, um, and really weird. And, uh, and yeah, I visually, uh, I, and we mentioned this before we started, uh, a lot of the influence comes from my uh, past working in digital and, um, wanting the movie to look like a feed stop. So basically just scrolling through your phone, stop yeah. for a second, you see something, you switch apps, you go to the next one, you press yeah. YouTube for a second, you get rid of that, you turn a song on, you Google something. And I really, you know, that was one of the things me, myself and my editor, Mark, and his partner, Vic, that was our big thing was like, how do we make a uh, vampire film that looks like somebody just went on a very dark, deep dive one night about vampires and sort of secret histories? Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Your your cast is action packed. Like, I mean, you, you oh, have yeah. a great cast for this film. Um, we what do. What role did you play in? In who got all cast? The, role, the whole role. I was. I did all the casting in the film. Um, so the movie has has unlike some of the other movies I've done in the last year and a half, um, which are not horror films. Uh, <laughs> this movie uh, had a much longer sort of gestation period. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I've heard many filmmakers, ones I love that have these trips that they pick up and they put down they pick up and they put down and they, then at some point it makes sense. Um, uh, I have a really, since this is a long podcast, I'll tell you a very long story about this film. <laughs> so, um, the movie started, I wrote the first draft of this film in 2009. Um, and, uh, it was actually a, um, it was a secret revisionist history of Howard Hughes. And it was the characters, the character of Jack was, who's one of the leads, was a LA Times reporter uh, who was who was uh, given the opportunity randomly, sort of low-level reporter, to interview Howard Hughes, who hadn't been seen in a long time, at the Desert Inn, which he owned at the time in Las Vegas. And he brought his wife. And they're two idiot friends, and it and it's very then then the plotting is very similar. It's a honey it's a honeypot trap. They all they're all sort of there for the taking, uh, and it's all in the penthouse of uh, the desert inn. The movie was called Penthouse, and um and it, it I think first of all it was a at the time it was a rough sell uh, because I hadn't done anything like this before. Uh, people really liked it and, and could tell sort of feel the swag on it. But um, I, I think a lot of the stuff there was um, there were some scenes in the back half that were particularly gory, and I think that they are there now too. Um, and I think that the um, and also the uh, the Elliot Jones character is originally um, based on Robert Mayhew, which who was a um, the security person who hunted down Hughes, this FBI. It was very convoluted. And then Mr. Rector, which is what we call him, uh, and Mrs. Rector, Mr. Rector was actually a pseudoname that Howard Hughes used to use at other hotels because it was a misdirection. So he thought it was funny to call it Mr. Rector. So what, that was what's, what's your um, fascination with Howard Hughes? It wasn't. I just thought it was really funny. <laughs> Howard Hughes lived yeah. in this place for years. No one saw him. And then they had all these different stories about how he died and he looked like a fucking vampire. Love so, it. <laughs> um, so I, so, and I, and I had my first, uh, I got, <laughs> I had my first Blackberry. This is a true story. 
I had my first black BlackBerry, and um, and I wrote the script, the first draft of the script on the BlackBerry. I, I don't really like writing on the computer. I, I I like writing on phones mostly. And before that, I used to write on napkins and on um, notepads. And so I never write any scenes actually directly into my my thing. I have to have them written before, and then I rewrite them on my phone. So this was the first movie I'd ever done that on. That's um, so wow. then it sat around, and I didn't didn't really get made. And uh, I started doing a bunch of other things, music videos, commercials. Um, and uh, and I just was like, I'm not directing movies anymore. And then, um, like, I guess it's not going to happen because I did one and it didn't do so well. And then, um, and then I got hired to start this big digital company um, in uh, 2015, 2014, 2015. Uh, and we made this movie it was pretty bad this youtube red movie called alexander irl is a kids movie um and uh, i met all these influencers and because uh, the people who had brought me into this company had just sold their company for a lot of money um i give them a sort of sardonic special thanks at the very end of the film um but uh they were these tech bro types and they're like hey well, you know film you do film for us so <laughs> movie and we sold it right away for double the amount that we made it for. Um, and it did really, really well, even though I thought it was a piece of shit. Um, and then <laughs> my partners called me and we're like, hey, we're going to go raise some money. We're going to start a company and not just do movies. And we're going to do these little digital sh- scripted move things. And I said, okay, like, cool. And I had just gotten married and my wife really wanted me to have like a really like cool, like sort of executive job so i was like okay i'll take this job and then i was like, miserable for two years on a startup and we created this company and we raised like 40 million dollars and um we made all these these terrible shows for young females like 11 year olds uh and i i, I kind of created i created like most of them and we got like we had like millions of views a day and like at first it was funny because i could do subversive stuff and it was fun um And I was really leaning into the sort of Roger Corman aesthetic of like, we'll go to a school and we'll shoot like five shows at the school and I'll try to get weird shit in and it'll be sort of like early MTV. And, and, um, that was how we originally got the sort of viewership. And then it became something where it was like, great, we have 60 employees and like you run this department. And I'm like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Like, I'm not a person who runs department. Like, I don't know how to do management. So um, and I, by that point, I was pretty burnt out. Um, I had, I had created 20 shows. I was, I was all across them, going to sets and working on the edit and doing the scripts and working with these kids all, all day long. These like 12 to 18-year-olds who were very similar to the people in this movie, but a little younger. And understanding the sort of commodification of digital media in a very sort of insidious way uh, that most people don't really understand. Um, and understanding like how people get famous in that world and what they need to do to stay famous and how little money they actually have versus how much they present. And I, it was really both fascinating to me and incredibly depressing. Um, and then I left that company and uh, Snapchat um, hired me right away uh, to run a sort of little uh, little sort of put deal, output deal with them to create shows for their Snap Originals. Um, and I really like the people there. They're super creative, but the money was terrible. And I still had to work with these shitheads. 
So, um, <laughs> love it. uh, and so, but I, I became, I like, I say all that, but these kids are really nice and they, you know, they, they, they mean well, and a lot of them are super creative and have made a lot more money than I have. So, you know, all hats off to them. Yeah. But I, I, the more I got away, the more I remembered how much I loved to make cinema, um, more than anything else. I started at such a young age and I kind of fell out of love with it because it was hard to make stuff. And then, you know, after doing all this, this stuff right around the pandemic hitting, I had had the opportunity to do a horror podcast, scripted podcast, um, <clears throat> because I did know a couple of influencers, but also because I knew a couple of actors. And um, I was just starting to work on Slayers, which at the time was called With Teeth, um, based on this Nine Is Nail song. And at, and at the time, uh, my, I brought in an old writing buddy of mine, and I told him all these stories about what I had been through. And he was helping me kind of kind of with producing on the snap shows. So he was seeing it firsthand. And we're like, we're going to, I'm like, I think I know how to make this movie now, but I, I'd love it if you came in, co-wrote it with me. So he'd always loved the script and he was, he's much more of a horror guy than I am. His name's Zach. He, um, he helped out producing Fear, Inc. And he had his, his own um, movie uh, that had come out. That was, it's a very weird horror film. And he, he, and, and the two of us would always just go see horror movies. We love horror movies together. Um, and, and so we worked together sort of while we were finishing up our snap original shows, we started working on with teeth and I wasn't even intending to direct it because I was show running these two shows on snap and I need, I couldn't commit to anything else at the time. And so, and the shows came out and they did well, but then what happened was the pandemic hit and Snap Originals stopped making scripted. They only start, they only did reality because they couldn't afford yeah. to hold on that long. Yeah. So they called me and I thought it was my shows. And then I found out that they never did any other scripted shows after my shows. Because we had this show called Save Me that was pretty cool. It was kind of this Hitchcock thing that we did with Mikey Murphy, who's this creative uh, sort of um, young guy. And then I did this basketball show called Players. And they both like got tens of millions of views. They did really, really well. And they said, oh, you know, we can't commit, blah, blah. And so I called Zach and I said, hey, the snap thing's not working out and it's a pandemic. And we were already pretty far along in writing Shadow Diaries, which is this scripted uh, horror thing we did that was really popular. It was like top 10 for like three months. Um, and he was like, well, why don't we just do, do with teeth? And I had gotten linked up with a couple of people and, um, and my, one of my producing partners that I'm very close with still, uh, Daniel Cummings had just moved out to New Mexico and he's like, Hey, um, you should do it out here. There's a good incentive. I got a good crew out here. I just did another sci-fi thing out here. And, um, ultimately I had a meeting with Kara Hayward, um, uh, to be in the movie when there was another director on board. And then I realized like, Holy shit. I could get like actual actors. I could like work with actual actors again. I was so euthanized to the idea of even being able to work with an actual actor again. Um, and so I fired the director and I, I came on. <clears throat> and then I had my friend Malin Ackerman, who I've known for a long time through an uh, organization I co-run with my mother. Um, and she read the script and she loved it. So now we have Kara. Now we have Malin. And I was really close friends with manager for Lydia Hurst. So Lydia read it. She loved it. So now I have Malin, I have Lydia, I have, I have Kara. So I have the three girls. And I have Malin's husband, Jack, um, who plays Jack. It was great. A British guy. 
um, big sketch comedy guy overseas and a huge comedy writer too. He's super talented dude. Um, so now I had like a lot of my cast already. And so now it was pretty easy for me to go in and start the process of figuring out how to finance the film. And we just had to find a distributor. Um, and I kept rewriting the movie and, uh, with my just now distribution and a financing company and stuff. And we're like, still can't make it. We got to find a couple more people. I had worked with Abigail as a producer on a film that still hasn't been released called Saturday at the Starlight, which is this uh, roller skating film um, that uh, crazy a movie that I did with my my young adult uh, digital company. And they won't release it. They didn't release it because it was really hard R. It was sort of like mall rats oh. and uh, super funny. Um, and I texted her. Cause I could see, I, I followed her on Instagram we keep up and I could see she wasn't doing anything and it was the middle of the pandemic. So I was like, Hey, Abby, I got this movie, you know, I think it'd be fun for us to work together again. Maybe we can actually get this one made and, and released. And she read it and she called me and she's like, okay, I'll do it. But I want to be a producer on it. And I was like, that's fine. Um, and so now I had all these people and then I still needed one more person. This is like Ocean's Eleven. Um, and uh, my brother-in-law knew thomas jane because he's a big comic book guy he loves comic books and he's he always tries to adapt them and he's an indie producer and uh so he said i think thomas jane would be great for this role so he linked thomas up i had i did not know this but thomas reads scripts like he'll just read them like if they're in his inbox and he likes the log line he'll just read the fucking script he doesn't go through an agent or anything with it he'll read it and then he'll tell the agent if he likes it or not basically so I hear back from Abigail. She says, I'm in. And then one day later, Thomas emails me, mysterious Thomas, right? Hey, buddy, uh, I like your script. Let's talk on the phone. I, your deck is cool, blah, 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 blah. And he says, I'm in. Uh, reach out to my agent. And uh, and then suddenly we had a cast. And uh, we got a distribution deal. I'm not going to mention with who. But I was really excited about the distribution deal because it was like an old 70s label that they were trying to reboot, basically. And I always imagine this movie being like a cult movie, like sure. forever. You know, I, I, there's, there's no part of me that thought that this movie was going to be serious at all. I, I really wanted this movie to be fun. I wanted it to be fucking weird. And I wanted it to be something that, you know, when it comes out, people can't decide if they like it or not. And then as they watch it more, they're like, oh, my God this part's amazing and this part's amazing and this is so weird and this kind of makes sense as like this could happen and I, I like the way you watch repo man or if you watch rocky horror or you watch big trouble in little china you know the real deal hardcore iconic cult movies you know not the ones that say they're cult but like the ones where you're like like it's a code of sort of like a coat of armor you're like hey you like that movie i like that movie we're friends you know yeah, yeah. and uh and and so i always hoped and i hope still that that's the kind of movie this will end up being um and uh and so we we made the movie um in the middle of pandemic it was super hard because of the it was height of pandemic it was november 2020 um so like masks and testing all the time and uh you know um people eating like in the corner and, and just <laughs> everyone's scared of everything, yeah. including myself. Uh, and, um, and then we finished the film. I cut the film. I had a pretty moody cut to begin with. And immediately I knew that the studio was like, what is this? You know? And I was super blessed because 
while we're doing that, this other company, my wonderful distributors at the Avenue uh, and Highland, uh, they got the movie in two seconds. They they were able to look at it um, as we were having some troubles. And uh, and I got on a phone call and I felt like I had met my people. Awesome. And they were like, this movie is fucking awesome. You know, it's, it's kind of weird and European. It's kind of yeah. culty. It's kind of a midnight movie. You know, this is how we want to market it. And um, I literally went back and what had, what had been sort of a Frankenstein monster of a cut, we, then knowing what the studio was going to put behind it, we went back and we did like three more months of post on this movie. And um, really the, the graphic effects in this film are so complex, as I'm sure you guys have noticed. Yeah. Um, and the archival and the, the overlays and really trying to make it look not like how movies make things look like they're a YouTube or whatever, but like really literally look like you have, I have hacked into someone's brain and they are in the middle of, you know, being on their phone late at night or on their computer. Uh, it's not as easy as it looks. It's really complicated. Um, and, uh, and I just kind of kept telling everybody, we're almost done. We're almost done, you know, but uh, it took a long time. And then, and then finding the music to match to, um, we had so many different incarnations. My, my very talented friend Taylor uh, had done uh, a, a sort of uh, Ennio Morricone uh, by way of, um, uh, of, of, of sort of like a metal kind of rock god version of this score, which we hear a lot of it still. It's the real guitar heavy sort of weird 80s shit um, that comes in and out. Uh, that, by the way, absolutely loved it. Thank you. But I wanted something, I wanted to almost feel like from the beginning that this movie was a mashup, period. Like it's everything. I break the rules from the first five seconds of the movie. Nobody, you, I, I wanted to make a statement within the first like three minutes that like, you don't know anything about this movie, like at all, you know, absolutely fucking nothing, you know? And that was really super, super important to me. It's so because you took an experience where, um, you were, you were working in a job that it sounds like wasn't really where your heart is, but you kind of learned a lot and you kind of got really skilled in that kind of knowing what people want to see. And you, and yeah, you I, I mean, I guess so. Put it I here. guess only time will tell if people want to see it, but it's well, certainly something. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, you just, you learned a ton about social yeah. media and what makes people tick. And you took that experience and you put it into filmmaking, which it sounds like you really love. And you've made this thing that I feel like it, you're probably, you're very excited about it. So I think it's a part of you as well as um, different periods. Yeah. Of I suppose, yeah. I mean, I don't know if I'd ever make a movie like this again, yeah. um, because a lot of it was sort of the mother of invention to a certain extent. And um, but but then again, I liked it so much that I don't know. Maybe there would be a situation where I would take some of the sensibilities of it. You know, um, there's a lot. I would say stylistically, the only filmmaking language that I could say is kind of borrowed from is like Adam McKay a little bit. Um, you know, I think that that style is something that helped actually really early on sarcastically my sales agent at the time, I had uh, kind of pitched him on what I wanted to do in a vague sense on this recut. And, and I gave him the first two pages of Thomas's dialogue, the voiceover and all this crazy imagery. And he's like, 
what do you think you, what do you think this is fight club? You're not Chuck Palahniuk. You're not David Fincher. And I literally took that as, okay, almost the whole movie is going to be like this now. It was only supposed to be like three scenes, by the way. Like awesome. there were only supposed to be three breakouts in this movie. Just so we're yeah. clear at first, that's what I had told them, you know? And then he, he really pissed me off, you know? And so I was like, oh, you want to see that? I'll show you that right now. I'm going to do the whole <laughs> movie like this. I'm going to do 20 breakouts. I'm going to have voice over all over this movie. And I knew by that time I'd worked with Thomas in between uh, post on Dig, which is a movie that came out a couple of weeks ago. And I knew him really well. We were friends. And so I knew that if anyone was going to be able to deliver entertaining, insane, and totally different voiceover throughout the whole movie, it would be Thomas Jane, right? So, you know, the movie really transformed quite a bit. Um, And I I hear stories all the time about how movies get made in the edit. And a lot of movies start here and they start there. And this is really the first experience I had where it was like really dramatically, I had an idea for something but then once we got there and i worked with mark and my editor and we started just really getting creative suddenly we we finished it and we didn't even know if it was good and then and then people started seeing it and being like this is really radical like this is a really fucking cool movie or they said i couldn't finish it this is this is too crazy for me so and i liked that both the responses because i enjoyed I, i you don't want something that's in the middle and um going back to what you were saying with regards to the social media stuff, you know, one of the things I've noticed about these sort of influencer adjacent horror films is that the, that the influencers are always the leads. Um, and, um, it's really hard to identify with influencers, just period. Just the DNA of it. And, um, and also they always try to have, um, things like look really pretty. Um, you know, like everything looks super slick. And I don't think that that's the way that um, it's not really the way that people make digital, certainly not the way that we consume digital. I mean, we go on Instagram and we click on a few photos or we see stories. uh, We look at comments and then we go and then we're on Reddit and we're looking at some conspiracy theory. And then we go on Google, we Google the, the theory and then that takes us to a YouTube video. And then maybe we're on TikTok for a second, seeing someone you know, either shake their ass or make a prank or something. (laughs) And then it's like 20 minutes later. Right. So, you know, I I really felt like no one had ever told a movie particularly like this once we started making it this way. And then it was the sort of addiction of more. Once we did a couple of these sequences, then I went back and made other ones just like these and less like what they were before. So where they started being more traditional with the voiceover, I think the first one we made with Mark Vick and his team over there, um, I got something back and it was the, I think the breakthrough one was the scene where they start driving out and they're talking about face tuning people and, you know, the wild west of fuckery and all this other stuff. And I saw it and it was like, my brain exploded. I'm like, holy shit, we could really do this. Like you guys actually have the tools internally in this office to like breathe in my brain and make something that's like crazy, you know? And then I was like, okay, cool. Now we got to do a whole movie has got to be like this, you know, because you do it once and then suddenly it's like, it'll stand out if it doesn't look like that. So then, and then, and then suddenly we're in a movie where you have like eight or 10 of these sequences. And then you watch the rest of the movie and you're like, well, the rest of the movie is not boring around these sequences. So I guess I got to make a whole movie look like this. So then it just becomes this visual language, the whole movie. And then you start getting into this sort of weird, like I'm a cinephile. So I'm like, 
well, that's okay. Cause like enter the void, this Gaspar no movie is kind of crazy like this. And I saw Titan and Titan's really crazy. And, you know, Revenge is a super insane movie and all these French films that, that, that were heavily influential with the visual language of this film, much more than horror films, to be honest. Like, like the, I think the, the movie was shot in a way that was very much reverential to Carpenter and De Palma with regards to, to my technique, but the editorial on it is much, much closer to some of the more nonlinear and kind of wild, uh, you know, approach of the newer sort of French, uh, new sort of avant-garde or all the way back, like Bob Rafelson doing head in like 1969, you know, like, and, and those, and those early Nicholson Rafelson movies that were like these crazy monkeys kind of like, we don't know what the movie is acid trip kind of thing. Yeah. 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 The, uh, so I just, I, I briefly told you earlier, my, I watched this with my 12 year old. Yeah. And, um, so this movie is definitely like ADD through the whole thing. Yes. And here's how you can tell it's going to be like a classic to not necessarily my generation, but his generation. Yeah. yeah. He, he had his phone and he just looked over the phone the whole time and just put the phone down. He would pause it in parts. He was like, dad, you're the vampire hunter. And then <laughs> at another part, he's like, Jules, that's like, Movie's best friend. I have a 19 year old daughter. It's like, yeah. Okay. yeah, 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 yeah. Sure. Going off. And yeah, but he was transfixed. Like he could not look away. And um, that is like kudos to you for the style. Because yeah. he's like, this is my, this is exactly what everything else is missing, you know? And well, I appreciate that. I I, I have a, a couple of um you know, ideas, uh, some thrillers, um, just, or I guess, or I don't know. It's all the same. Uh, I have a couple of ideas that are, that have been percolating that I keep putting away because I keep directing movies around them. Uh, and one of them I may be able to do similarly, though. I mean, like my editor literally joked, he's like, you'd never be able to write what you just did. Like, it's really, really hard. But I'm up for the challenge. I mean, listen, if people really respond to the visual language of this movie, it was super fun to cut it and make it and figure it out. And and I think that there's a couple more stories I'd like to tell within um, this sort of contemporary world that we live in right now. Um, the, the sort of intersection of, uh, you know, late stage capitalism and uh, and just assholes, you know. Uh, oh, I you love know. it. So yeah. the people that you worked with before, the influences and, and such, uh, was that the whole reason you made them the characters that were going yeah. to getting killed? Was that just I, like your justification for you? It was kind of cathartic. I mean, it, it just felt like they, it made sense um, that those are sort of the nouveau, um, nouveau riche kind of people. And I knew them pretty well. And it, it made sense for the plot. Um, but you know, there are people that I still have relationships with, uh, very sweet. The kids that are in the movie that played the stream team <clears throat> fans, those are real influencers. I know them, I know their families oh. and, um, you know, they came, we, we, I did a screening for them and their friends uh, a week or so ago. They're around, you know, a little older than your son, but they laughed at all the right places. They screamed at all the right places. They had a great time. Oh. And, uh, and it felt like I really rewarding because, um, 
I, the movie is made for them, really. I mean, I it makes it for obviously I enjoy it, but anyone under the age of 25, it, the frequency is obviously there. Um, anybody over 25, you know, uh, I don't know. It's, it just depends on your taste and 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 your appetite. I I don't know. I'm not a uh, like I didn't start in the horror world at all, and so I don't know if this is necessarily like a movie for like horror heads at all but maybe i mean it's campy it's really fun uh and i hope that that the audience embraces it um also you know we were talking about this offline but you know i i actually think the lgbtq community probably like this movie a lot too because you know kara's char- character flynn is a lesbian gamer um and the movie ha- has a lot of sort of fun you know campy elements to it um and uh it's just a good time you know like aside from the, you know, from all of the, the conspiracy stuff that we could talk about in a second, because I like to talk about the media stuff, but, uh, but I do believe a little bit of it. Uh, my, my writing partner definitely does. Um, but you know, it, it, I, I, uh, I went and I saw Barbarian a couple of weeks ago and I didn't want to know anything about it or more than just that it was awesome. And I had a really great experience in the movie theater with it, you know, like, I went by myself because I have a newborn along with, with my son and my wife. I haven't been able to go places and then I had to leave town. So I was like, can I just go see this one movie in the movie theater? Um, <laughs> Cause I want to see it in the movie theater. And I, it was such a great experience, but a lot of it was Zach Krieger is really fun. And he was having, you could tell he was having so much fun making the movie, you know, um, obviously the first 45 minutes of that movie are very tense, but once all the rules are set in that movie, the rest of the movie is just a fucking blast. You know what I mean? Because you could tell he's like, great, I got that all out of the way. I scared everybody. Now we're going to do it all over again. And everyone's going to know everything. And then it's just going to be a fun house for the rest of the movie. Sure. And and I think that there's a part of this film that I just wanted it to be like a nonstop just party, you know? Uh, and for anyone who loves, you know, who loves horror movies, but not just elevated fucking a 24 horror movies, but like real horror movies, you know, like those, I, I, I have a great respect for those kind of films. I don't think I'd ever make one of those movies. Um, they're a little self-serious for me, even the ones that are fun. Uh, I mean, Ty West is his own thing. So I don't really associate a 24 with him. Um, but, uh, you know, I grew up watching (laughs) like Freddy versus Jason and, um, and uh, you know, new nightmare, and and you know, yeah. uh, killer clowns, and 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 like, <laughs> That's awesome. you know, I'm 42, so like late 80s, early 90s, those horror yeah. movies, and Blade, obviously. Um, so they were like, like dark, horror comedy before we before we like labeled horror comedy. So 100. We didn't have. Yeah. Like nowadays, you have to say it's horror comedy, or people are like, "That's not." You know, that's not there. Yeah, yeah, everyone classifies everything. I mean, the reality is that um uh but I should turn the light on in here. It's getting dark. Hold on a second. Yeah. One moment. I'm back, I'm back, I'm back. Okay. Hi. Uh the um uh you know, I, I always kind of set out, even with Dig, uh, even with a lot of these movies, uh all, all the movies I I've done, I always set out to say, Oh, it's like I wanna like think about De Palma and stuff like that. And then I end up making Sam Raimi movies. Um, and so, you know, I, there's definitely a lot of DNA in this movie, the sense of humor specifically of me just being young, being eight years old and going to see army of darkness, 
you know, go see dark man, nice. you know, and, um, and, and then, and then all the stuff that came after that, because that was my, you know, my taste was like, you know, Reitman Ramis movies like vacation and stripes and then into the Ramey stuff, you know, and then from there more cinema, you know, but sure. the, irrever- the irreverence of those, of both, you know, the, the, you know, Ivan Reitman stuff and the Sam Raimi stuff really showed me or sort of, you know, what my life would be, you know, I, I, much to the chagrin of my wife, I always have a smart ass comment for everything. <laughs> and I have a very cynical view of the world. And I, I hold on to the last four days of 1979, uh, hard so I could be Gen X, um, and, and, <laughs> and keep my aesthetic. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I, yeah. So I don't know. Um, what else guys? <laughs> wait, wait. So not, that is that an actual fact that it's the 1979 is the cutoff? Yeah, 70 to 79. And what's after that? Then it's technically they're millennials. Uh, I I disagree. I'd have to disagree. Okay. Yeah. I thought people it was I, thought, I just don't say it's I 84. Some people say that's it's what I was going with. Yes. Because yeah. then I'm, uh, then I'm okay. Some people say it's 84. That's fine. Some people say it's 84. I'll give you that. All um, right. I, I do think <laughs> we all of us. According to Chuck Klosterman, the great writer, love Chuck. Uh, uh, say that there really it is people who grew up both with and without a computer and a phone, and people who grew up after that. So I, I think that's a great way. And to so I think eighty four is kind of a cutoff for that. Yeah, I, yep. I, when, I didn't get, I didn't have my first. My dad is a, is a, you know, uh, made posters and is a designer. So we had an old you know, big computer pretty early, but I didn't have my own computer until I was much older. I didn't have a phone until I was like 17 or something. Yeah. Crazy. I was, a, yeah. I was getting, I got my first phone as a freshman in college, the way that like a second grader gets their first phone these days. It's crazy. I got my, I got my first phone in my high school year, you know, my last yeah. year of high school. Yeah. I got a Nokia, I think. No, I, I before that, I think it was a, I, I don't know. I had a pager for a long time though. Yes, that was a big thing. I had a pager, and what I would do is because, along with being a rebellious filmmaker, I'm also a mama's boy. I would, I would call my mom. I had a deal with her that I could stay out late as long as I called her all the time. So I would call her from payphones. I'd call her from so I so she would page me, and and as long as I did that, I was able to stay out past two. That was nice. my deal with her. Um, Very sweet. Very sweet. Yeah. Uh, anyways, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the mythology, but you guys, I'm sure you guys have, I, I have I'm a, sorry. I do have a question. I'm stepping all over everything. I apologize. <laughs> I have a uh, question for you. Um, and I actually want to ask Josh first, before I ask you, Josh, when you watch this film, did, what like influence vampire slayer influence did you, did you feel when you watched this? Like, what did you think? Like what popped in your head? Did you get any films? Uh, honestly, I, uh, the only thing I was thinking the whole time is, this guy is me. We look the same. <laughs> fucking talk the same. How do I know Josh was going to say it was about him? Okay. My daughter walks in with 10 of her friends and I'm like, you fucking assholes. Like, what are you, what are you doing? Like, quit acting stupid. You're leaving shit all over. Right. Like, you're acting like, and I'm, I'm listening to this guy talk to these kids and I'm like, oh my God. Like, and, and don't get me wrong. I love my kids. I love my kids. <laughs> they drive me insane. Insane. I feel you. Uh, I feel you. So, yeah, that was the only thing I was really thinking the whole time. 
I gotta so, be honest. But okay. what about you? I, I'm, I'm so, guessing that that Dave had an idea. I, I did. I mean, and I think this, this this character, Thomas Jane, was like his character was super unique. So I, I don't think I necessarily saw him as like another character. But like the idea, the premise. I, you mentioned Blade. That's that definitely. Now that I think about it, like yeah, duh. Uh, but I was thought I thought of John Carpenter's Vampires a little bit. Oh yeah, a lot, a lot of people who've seen this movie have said that there's some similarities to John Carpenter's Vampires. I love that movie. Just, the other movie, and, and not that, like like I said, it's not like I, I seemed like a ripoff or anything like that. It was just it was like the like the premise a little bit and the the vibe of it. So I, I thought that was I really, think people have said cool. most from, from Dust Till Dawn and, and and John Carpenter Vampires are the two main ones. I when I was getting ready for the movie and in a moodier cut of the film <laughs> uh, that was very different. Uh, Near Dark was a big one that I watched a lot, oh, okay. um, and. Um, and I was even wrestling with not using fangs because of it, because Near Dark doesn't use fangs. They uh, slit people's throats and drink blood, which I always thought was really cool. Yeah. Um, and, and he's got, I think he's got like the Coke pinky uh, built Paxson in it. And, pa- and I, but I think a little bit of the sensibility dialogue wise of Near Dark with Paxson's character and Lance Hendricks' character, Hendricks' character, like, you know, that movie is badass, real badass, you know? And um, not, to, not to say that Lost Boys isn't a fun movie, uh, but near dark is an excellent piece of cinema. Um, but, uh, but yeah, Carpenter's vampires for sure. I mean, a lot of also just Carpenter in general, that character is snake Plissken. That character is, is, uh, I forgot what his name is in, in big trouble. Jack something. Right. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, that character is definitely that voice in my head that I have a lot, um, from those movies. Uh, you know, I, I love those movies. I love all the Kurt Russell movies that he did. Like they're just those characters are the fucking best. You know, like they're they like they're, they are those his characters with Kurt Russell are like right up there with like Bill Murray characters with Ivan Reitman in terms of just like this is the epitome of fucking cool. Like we all would love to be those guys, you know, and say those lines. And Thomas is such a guy like that, that it was like the day he came on set and said his first line, I was like, shit, this is really amazing. And when we were, when we were cutting the movie, it, it immediately started being like, how can I get more of, of him in the movie? Cause he obviously shows up later than the voiceover, you know, he's not in the movie that much. And then he's in the movie for the whole rest of the movie. Yeah. So you know, one of the bigger things with with the post of this film was how do we really get more Elliot Jones in the film? Because he's like this iconic, hopefully soon to be iconic character that I think anyone who sees the movie and digs the movie, a lot of it will be based on just being like Elliot Jones, ultimate badass horror, you know, hero, you know? So, yeah. so here's a, here's a question. This, for me, this crossed a lot of boundaries in this movie, right? And uh, it was almost like how much of this was influenced by action movies? That's a really good question. Um, I am definitely more of an action guy than a horror guy. It obviously shows um, the back half of the movie is an action movie. Um, all, all the way. Like, just straight up late 80s Shane Black all. action movie all the way. You know, and... Um, and even the filmmaking style of the movie is a lot of it is much more. I remember early on and I had a lot of back and forth about like, Hey, but these scenes are 
not necessarily as scary. They're more like these tense scenes that then evolve into bloody action. And I was like, yeah, well, that's like I'd mentioned with Carpenter, you know, some of the Carpenter movies are scary, but a lot of them aren't. You know, people like to, you know, think of him as master of suspense, but aside from the straight up horror movies like Halloween, you know, vampires, big trouble, you know, um, uh, obviously escape, escape from New York. What do you say? Starman. Well, Starman is not an action movie. It's a beautiful <laughs> science fiction film. Uh, but Assault on Precinct. I mean, these are all just sort of grindhouse action films, right? He's so good at making them. And I think that the thing about Carpenter is he's such a fucking badass that it's hard for him to just sit behind, you know, giallo. There's a music in the shadow and a this and a that. Like, he, he can't even control himself, you know? Once he gets to the action, he wants to keep going. And it's different than De Palma, where De Palma actually, even though I think Mission Impossible and Untouchables are great movies, um, he's not an action filmmaker at all. And so his horror movies actually really play scary. They, they tap into certain things in your psyche. And, I, and so, you know, this film, I think, even though it's wild and crazy and looks really different than other movies, I do think that there's an element of it that is very close to a sort of 80s action aesthetic. Um, you know, a devil, devil may come attitude that movies don't really have anymore in the action world. And, and it's, what's funny is that, um, uh, there's all these movies that that say they're going to try to be, uh, you know, the next lethal weapon or whatever. And aside from Shane Black making his own movies, most of these movies end up becoming these big bloated Netflix things. And there's like, and they, they think that being glib is the whole thing. It's really not actually the best movies that have this sort of action comedy feel midnight run lethal weapon, you know, uh, uh long kiss good night. Um, uh, Hudson Hawk, by the way, is a, is a personal Hudson favorite of mine. Um, yeah. Die hard. Um, you know, all these movies, there's a uh, actual stakes that create the comedy, right? There's death, a lot of death. And there's a lot of sort of, you don't know 48 hours, obviously like the Walter Hill movies are just like Bible, you know, they're all, they're all these sort of revisionist cowboy films. Right. And, um, that's the other thing. I, I have a lot of long winded answers. I'm sorry, Josh. Uh, but the other good. thing is, is that there's a, a, a heavy amount of, of John Wayne and sort of, you know, old school cowboy antics in this sure. film too, in terms of the way that even the scenes are paced out, you know, they they, there's the, I um I really have a lot of reverence for um for a certain kind of of cowboy film. You know what's crazy is <laughs> this movie is a made by a cinephile <laughs> who has dabbled in working in like this social media film industry, which is totally different than typical film. Yeah. And you're making a genre, a sort of genre film that actually mis- mix matches a, like a few different genres. And it's and it's it just it's so out there. It's it's like the it's this is such a unique project. And this is why it's an interesting film. Like you're like just talk, hearing you talk about the films. You have so much film knowledge and and backlog. And like you're referencing films that like Hudson Hawk, I haven't heard anyone mention Hudson Hawk since the nineties. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. I have a funny story with that, by the way. So I was at, I uh, dropped my kid off for guitar class. I go to a coffee place down the street and I ran into one of uh, a family friend who was, was with um, 
forgot his name now. He directed uh, Michael uh, Michael Lehman, who directed Hudson Hawk, directed Heather's as well. Uh, he's a great sort of subversive director. And I and I knew that this guy was friends with Michael. And so I go and at the coffee place and he says, he says hi to me. This is my friend, Michael. And I, I said, I, I never do this. I just want to let you know, you've made one of my favorite movies of all time. And I said, Hudson Hawk. And he goes, oh, you're one of them, huh? And he, it was sort of as an illusion, like there's like five people that really go hard on that movie. One you know what them. I mean? And, <laughs> uh, you know, you got to have your favorites, right? I, I, I think it's a charming film. I've always been a huge Bruce Willis fan. And, um, Richard E. Grant. Have you guys, I'm not, I can't believe I'm talking about this movie. Has anybody, have you guys seen Hudson Hawk? I, I literally haven't seen it since like it, when it came out on video. Can I tell you something, it really holds up. I, uh, I'll to have me, to watch it. It holds up. It's a oh, crazy, it's a crazy movie. And they spent so much money on it. Yeah. It's probably one of the biggest bombs ever made. And I think, I think he said that at the time that it was the reason why Columbia had to sell to another person. Oh, geez. Um, it, 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 but it's it's like a pure piece of pop, like cult, just everything. You know, it's weird. Sandra Bernhardt's weird in it. It's, oh, yeah, it's about Bernhardt. it's about weird shit. Yeah. It's like a cat burglar. They sing all the time during, and, and but there's something mesmerizingly like weird and unique about it, and it's super campy. I don't try to be campy. Like, yeah. like I'm gonna be honest. Like, I don't try to be campy, but I think that. It's hard for me not to have fun in scenes a lot. And we had did come out a couple of weeks ago and I had a lot of pretty nasty reviews. Um, and a lot of it was based on me basically taking a pretty standard, you know, action sort of uh, thriller, small thriller in the desert kind of movie. And then just kind of pissing all over it by having Emil Hirsch, who's my buddy, uh, you know, come in and, and, and do a Tarantino adjacent performance that was just wild. And, and it totally off. And it was like, it wasn't totally off. That's exactly what I wanted to do. First of yeah. all, I love a simple plan. Has a similar kind of thing where like, it's a really weird movie, but a thriller. You know, I love California, love true romance. You know, there's a lot of 90s movies that did this where, you know, Way of the Dog, uh, Way of the Gun, Way of, Way of the Gun, the uh, early Christopher McQuarrie movie. Um, you know, obviously some of the, the early, and, and this a little bit too, uh, you know, some of the, uh, like smoke and aces, some of the early Carnahan things, you know, uh, there's a, a, a sort of gleeful camp that I think is missing a lot now from not from horror horror is having a great Renaissance and there's so many unique brains inside, but I think specifically in action, um, it's pretty void and, and pretty blah. I don't really know why it's a shame. Um, you know, it's like every movie needs to be John wick now. And, um, and then, or it's like, uh, or it's like David Leach, or it's like a David Leach knockoff. Um, and, and it's like, it's just a theater of blah. It, you know, it's, yeah. it's one, one worked and then yeah. there's a million others. And, there, and, you know, when was the last time that like a movie like Death Wish came out or something, you know, like Midnight Run came out that wasn't, that wasn't manifested because they were like, and it's going to be like Midnight Run. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> like, no, you, that's not how it works. It's like someone who's probably not suited to do this movie, did this movie and had a whole different sensibility. And that's why they did that movie. And so I, to, as a roundabout to, to this movie, I probably was not suited to make this movie in terms of like, I didn't grow up doing creature features, the shorts. And, you know, 
I'm, I didn't come from a makeup background. Um, and, and so that stuff didn't really appeal to me. I'm not like a, someone who like puts together fucking robots in a room and, uh, and I didn't grow up making comic books or anything. You know, I, I, as you said, I grew up as a cinephile. I went to school for that. Um, I love movies. I love all different types of movies. Um, and, um, and I, I really look at film as the last form of true art that is, is part of pop culture, you know, um, and not as, and still has a place. And I think that we've seen it now in the last, you know, year that, um, people still go to movie theaters, uh, because they want to experience a movie and that, that as much as everybody wanted to say during the pandemic and even a little before it, like movies and TV are the same thing. It's just not the same thing. No, you know, there's a sort of scary element and I'm not talking about horror. There's a scary element to watching a movie that you don't get from television and streaming and even some streaming movies, which is like, I don't know if I'm going to like this thing. And I don't know if I like it right now, but maybe I'll like it later. And it's only yeah. 90 minutes yeah. or two hours. So I'm going to stick with it and see if I like the back half, you know, this movie's boring for this 10 minutes, but now it's exciting for this 10 minutes, you know, this character, I thought he was nice. He's terrible. How am I supposed to have this person be my hero? And likewise, with the female character, are we objectifying? Well, now the character is actually being lionized, you know, and, and I think that it's, it's a much more challenging medium. And it's important to remember, as people who love film, that if you support films, which we have been doing now for the last year, that are weird and different, you know, and and filmmakers are weird and different and we're seeing it weirdly much more in the horror space than anywhere else which is amazing um those movies will get made more just straight up you know yeah. there's yeah. a big delta obviously of either you're making like a big studio marvel movie or you're making this movie for four million dollars or under yeah. right but that doesn't mean necessarily that it's the worst thing in the world because all those middle movies a lot of them were crap for a really long time and they all had to go through a studio system. And when you make a movie, personal experience, when you make a movie that's under $5 million, <coughs> there's nobody, nobody that is giving you a, a note before you start shooting. Other than, did you get that actor in? Does your budget hit? Right? That's it. Now, afterwards, when you're making the edit and stuff like that, they may have comments and changes and stuff, but you already got one through. Right? Yeah. So... That means that these movies that are smaller are true, kind of the, what, what movie making was supposed to be all about, right? And then these other ones, great. I'm glad that they're there because they can fund lots of other things. But those middle movies that really kind of ran out of gas in the, in the, the early aughts into the, the early 2010s, I, I think that we almost like moved away from them. Like we don't need them anymore. Like we don't need to just see 85 romantic comedies. That are kind of the same, yeah. Or or comedies, other comedies to begin with are really tough. You know, I think that Slayers is a comedy. It's really funny, but you know, at the time I was also looking at another movie I was going to do, and it was straight up comedy, and I just didn't think the world was very funny, and and so it's a lot easier to make things funny that that suck in the world than to, than to make something funny that's just like, hey, like I have a crush on this person, or like. Like I made a mistake, like at the office, you know, or like, like it's hard to make those things, anything relevant when there's fucking homeless people on the street right. and there's war overseas and there's a pandemic and there's people who are scared of getting killed every day. 
at a temple or a church, you know, or school. Like the only way that you can find comedy in that world, in my opinion, is by going directly to that source and finding the humor in the macabre, right? Yeah. And that's why movies look more like the 1970s right now than like the 1990s or the 2010s. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I know that like film typically is, you know, it, it is art, like what is it? Art, uh, life imitates art. So, I mean, it's right. like, um, you know, it's usually a reflection of what's going on in society. So that's right. I always reference that uh, French uh, new wave extremist uh, like whole scene that happened when they did like uh, high tension inside martyrs. Yeah. There sure. was a lot of like political uh, violence going on. And then you have these super gory films coming out. Yep. And I think we're probably going to see that right now. It's uh, like the world's cynical. It's divisive. Well, look, I mean, look at the state of our box office. We've had how many weeks of gory horror movies that have been number one and people are surprised. You know, it's like, <clears throat> there's nothing surprising to me about smaller films that have a, relatively sardonic and irreverent view of murder and and violence in America being doing better with people than movies that are about other shit. Yeah. Whatever it is. It's not just and it by the way, it's not just like a rom-com or a straight family comedy. It could also be a drama. It could be, you know, a heartfelt drama. Like like it just is that's just not where people want to go. If you want to go to the movie theater, Maybe, maybe to watch TV. If you want to go to a movie theater, they want to escape into something that reaches into their subconscious, okay, and allows them to cathartically go through something. Whether that means falling in love or getting murdered, right? That depends on what era you're in, right? Yeah. And in this era, I think a lot of it is I want to kill someone. I want to, <laughs> I want to break something. I, I want to, to, uh, get back at something and someone. And and it, a lot of it has to do with media, which is a lot of, this movie is all about the vampiric elements of media, obviously. Um, and, uh, and and there's nothing to trust. I stopped watching I would, news. I was just going to say that. We we literally don't know who to trust these days. So yeah. everybody feels it, like- It's crazy. I, I, I mean, you could be the most progressive person in the world and you could still be like, I don't know. I don't know if I really like that, that, that politician, you know, there's something wrong there yeah. and you could, and, and I, I, I don't even like watch the news because I don't think it's real. You know, I just don't, I, I, I hate to sound like a crazy person here, uh, but like, you know, it's, it's fucking crazy. The world you, we live in now. When I go to the gym, they have Fox news on one CNN on the other. And you yeah. just literally watch these two totally uh, extreme sides there you just watch their agendas and you're yeah. like i how how am i supposed to navigate this world yeah. and, and know <laughs> who to listen to what's absurd about that is that uh, on the historical side of things the 1920s were the same thing it was the industrial revolution not the technology revolution we had crooked politicians we had crooked publications. Nobody really trusted the media, meaning the newspapers, and nobody trusted, you know, the politicians, right? And we and it was kind of chaos. And then all these wars sort of finally kind of reshuffled America back to what it was. But between like 1910 and 1932, like 
our country was fucked. Nobody yeah. knew anything. And there were these robber barons, you know, that were captains of industry. Capitalism was a new thing. And there were migrant villages all over the country, like there's like, like right now, basically with encampments. And there were people who made a gazillion dollars and then everybody else made nothing unless you were like, like a bank robber, you know, or like, like, like yeah. for real, or like a gangster, you know what I mean? Like that was all that there was at the time. And we just thought we were over that. But actually the reality is that in the last 15 years have evolved into the same thing where there's now people who make a gazillion dollars and then people who don't make anything and a very little in between. And, and then, and a feeling from everyone except for both sides of that, that who don't care one way or another, because they're already in those places that they're being attacked every day, every day by their country. You know, Um, I know that we're, Getting well, close, I was just going to say, there's a reason why Sorry. a movie like American Sniper and The Hurt Locker and all these, those type of films, the reason why those aren't really being made today. I mean, that's not what people want to see. Because 100%. No. You know? Not did, at all. Just really quick, I want to give a quick shout out. You have Emil uh, Hurst in your movie Dig, you said. Such yeah, an underrated I, I, and underappreciated actor. I, I, I love him. He, I have him in that. I have him in a movie call, coming out called Hell Instead. Uh, and then we're doing another one that we're going to announce really soon that I'm out here for. Um, he's Very cool. the best, uh, so cool. creative and, um, and such a fun guy to work with. Um, and yes, 100%. I think that my two closest actors, Thomas and Emil, um, are the probably two of the more underrated actors in Hollywood. And I'm so, ex- I feel like excited and blessed that I'm able to kind of shed a new light on them again um, in different ways and, 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 and help them, you know, with reminding people that, that they're, they're just the best, you know, and, 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 you know, coming back to Slayers, Thomas specifically, like, this is a, to me, like a, a career defining kind of role, you know, like he has, this is all of his tools in one. And then obviously shout outs to all of my other actors. I don't want it to be a Thomas fest over here. You know, (laughs) I think, you know, Malin had never done a horror movie before this, and she did such a great job. She's so cool and sexy and and scary in this movie, um, and so natural. And uh, and and my crew of uh, you know Kara and and Lydia and Jack and Ash, they all did a, a fantastic job. Um, and Ashley, uh, who is uh, sort of the underling for uh, Mullen's character, who's now on I think Walker Texas Ranger, Texas Ranger or something like that. She's fantastic, <clears throat> and. Um, it, it, you know, it, it's rare that you get a, a movie that we made this for like one and a half million dollars. It's rare that you get a movie not small where you have so many excellent actors involved with it. Yeah. And it, it really is helpful as a filmmaker because you can skip a lot of stuff about performance because, oh, you know, Abigail specifically, um, you know, where she I know she's going to lay all her lines. Right. And Malin, you know, I know that Malin knows that that's what it is right there. And, uh, and then obviously Thomas just like, yeah. I mean, he carries a crossbow like no other. Um, cool. Yeah. Well, Asher, thank you so much for being on here with us, talking everything totally. and all, a bunch of other stuff as well. So we appreciate it. Yep. Everybody make sure you check out Slayers Theater. Yes. Man digital October 21st, October 21st. Trust no one. Watch a bunch of people get killed and, become vampires and a lot of blood. 
Have fun. Awesome. Day it comes out, we're doing a watch party. That's all. Yes, I love it. I'm in it. I'm in. Great. Awesome. All right, everybody. Thanks, have a great night. Thank you. All right. Talk to y'all soon. Bye-bye. Over, you lose.